welcome to another episode of the Aquatic Mentors podcast. I'm your host, Katrina Van Eyck, and in today's episode, I interview an industry professional who has had years of experience across all areas of aquatics. So please extend a big welcome to the podcast for Scott Wilson. Scott tagged behind his three sisters when attending their squad swimming lessons in Lower Hutt, New Zealand during the 1960s. His simple play and water discovering cold water outdoor swimming pools became his playground each week while his siblings swam their sessions. In his youth years, he developed his own swimming under the coaching eyes of Mr Lang or Duncan Lang at the Moana Pool in Dunedin, New Zealand. A work ethic within a squad of like-minded peers, Scott found success in the New Zealand swim scene, winning national titles and representing New Zealand at different levels, although not making the grade to swim at the Pinnacle World events. Scott appreciates the life lessons competitive swimming provided. Unsure with what to do after a single year of university, with uncertainty and zero swimming teaching experience, Scott moved to Canberra working with Australian swim coach Bill Robinson. Learning the trade of swim coaching, swim teaching and the swim school business. Burley Griffin Swim Club and the Deakin Health Spa Swim School created Scott's passion for the swimming industry. The sight of the red and yellow team uniform of BG became recognised throughout New South Wales and Australia as one of the leading clubs in its era. Scott's professional swimming pathway has now spanned 40 years, embracing the scope of teaching, coaching, swim school leader, swim school owner, at private and council facilities, industry presenter, mentor, a program developer for single sites, multi-sites and everything in between. He has always been a learner from both within and from outside our industry. As a coach and teacher, he learned how to improve and how to obtain results. As a business owner, he is considered risk taker, a decision maker with a strong belief in staff and customer focus to drive growth and retention. For a decade, Scott held the role head of operations for multi-centre swim school organisations, Aquatic Achievers in Brisbane and Carlisle Swimming in Sydney. These days, Scott has his own swim school business, helping schools and other swimming professionals find success. I now have a strong desire to give back to the wider industry, which has been so good to me and so good for me, says Scott. To connect with Scott, jump onto his website, www.swimpeople.com.au. And through today's episode, Scott shares some insights into his work, as well as his thoughts on swimming in Australia and where he sees swimming moving to in the future. Please share the hidden gems you find in Scott's interview on our Facebook page, Aquatic Mentors. You'll find more of Scott's contact details listed at the end of our show notes. If you want to share your aquatic journey, please contact me via regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. That's regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. I love to share your journey in aquatics with our audience that's now spanning worldwide. And check out our website, aquaticmentors.com, for our season one ebook. So let's jump in and find out more about Scott's journey in swimming. So, Scott, how did you start your journey in swimming? 
Well, uh, many, many years ago, I've got three older sisters and uh, probably recall getting dragged around to the pools as they were getting involved in swimming. So this was back in Lower Hutt, New Zealand. So just a little uh, city that probably taps onto uh, the side of Wellington, the capital city. So I still remember getting dragged along outdoor pool, probably pretty cold. I still actually remember my first time I floated. So an amazing experience. I still have that very vividly in my mind that I floated for the first time. It was probably in a play situation while my sisters were doing laps up and down in the other pool. But uh, that's how I all got started from uh, just tacking along with my, my sisters. I've got three older sisters who all were involved in, in swimming. I went from there as a family, we moved down to Dunedin, the lower part of the South Island, New Zealand. And that's where I got more involved in swimming. I was coached by a gentleman called Duncan Lang or Mr. Lang, we used to call him, who uh, New Zealand icon of coaching has coached um, New Zealand's only Olympic gold medalist. So I kind of tapped into his squads, got uh, through the squads with a great uh, group of friends. They're still friends for life. And then for different reasons, probably around that age of 18, 19, although I'd in New Zealand done well, I'd won some national titles. I'd made some New Zealand teams, not, not good enough to go to the Commonwealth or Olympic Games, but other teams around 18 or 19, I'd, for different reasons, lost got no guidance as to what to do next. Probably swimming was up to that age and then, um, and then stopped doing that. So then from there, my journey took me over to Canberra. Um, a, a gentleman who had actually coached my older sisters in Dunedin had made the move over to Australia. And since then, I went over and worked with a guy called Bill Robertson, who at the time was establishing a swim school swim club in Canberra in a indoor 25 meter pool and Bill was you know cracked the whip uh, gave me guidance and um, support encouragement but also you know gave me a kick when I needed it which was probably quite often in the first <laughs> few years and I was lucky enough to work with Bill for 12 13 years and that's what it really came down to is I found something that I really enjoyed doing I um, didn't know much about swim teaching or swim coaching but it was it was an opportunity and then during those, especially those first few years, found out something that I liked doing, probably loved to do it. And, and I also found out I was probably quite good at it. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that in a conceited way, but found out that I was quite good in it. And uh, from then, I've been in swimming. Wow, what a journey to start with. It's been terrific. Yeah, yeah. very lucky, very yeah. lucky. Yeah. And to start in Lower Hutt. That's my family. We're from Lower Hutt. So my grandmother lived there too a few years ago. And amazing area. But like you said, an outdoor pool would have been freezing. And then to have gone to Dunedin, which is even more cold, to continue with the sport like that in those sort of temperatures and that climate is amazing. And then make that jump when you realise that there was more to it and to go to Canberra. Yes. And start coaching, but find that want and that passion for it there that's amazing journey to go through yeah very very lucky on that and it could take a lot of what I went through in my first say 12 15 years I then could take that with me when uh, I actually ran my own swim school back in New Zealand in Wellington so I had my own swim school for 15 years and have used a lot of those early learnings all the way through so yeah very lucky and very fortunate, and, and now I'm still involved. I got out of swimming industry for two years. Different things happened, and I thought, I'm going to take a break from this. Someone's telling me to have a break. You've been involved 25, 27 years at the time. 
But then two years later, I just realized that I wasn't um, enjoying what I was doing. Yep. I was running a couple of cafes at the time and I wasn't enjoying it. I was going to a job. And uh, so I got back involved and it's been fantastic. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it, that you can, you sort of fall in love with aquatics and what you do and yourself spending such a long time in both roles as coach and then also swim school owner. But to then be a clue on that when you think you need to take that break, take that time out and realise it just becomes a job. It's not that passion and enjoyment that you have. Very much. Yeah, very much. It was more, you know, you just, as you know, and everyone in our industry knows, you, you develop uh, some great relationships with people. You really enjoy working with people. And a lot of other jobs, especially a cafe job, is very much a, a role where it's quite transactional. Yeah. Uh, even though you have your regular customers and your loyal customers, it is quite transactional. So I'd rather uh, work with a group of kids and, and really see how they develop. And, you know, it's fantastic that I can still keep in contact with kids, I'll call them, young kids now now married with, with families that uh, still keep in contact of who I had an influence in their lives and they still thank me for that, you know, 20, 30 years later. So I'm very lucky on that. Yeah, it's amazing. And I've spoken to a number of coaches. I mean, I remember Hayden Belshaw's story on, on his podcast episode about he was just about to go to the wedding of one of his first swimmers. And it's just amazing to see their step through, but to be able to have such an influence in their life for that long. Mm. And I say that during my courses, yeah, as swim teachers and grassroots coaches, you are a significant person in their lives. They're seeing you once a week or if not more. And in my case, if my kids went to swimming lessons weekly, then they would see their swim teacher more than they see their grandparents. Yeah, you're correct, Katrina. Yeah. Very, very much so. Yeah, very much so. And I remember someone telling me they did a study a while back of Olympians and asked them what they remember about their career. And they always remember those first teachers or those first coaches that put them through swimming. So you can make that impact change someone's life and then yeah find that you still are in contact with them once they've finished and yeah it's it's um I think I mentioned to you earlier that last year I set up a little swim blog called swim people and it focuses on people sharing their stories of swimming and that's one of the questions that often I ask a person is can you remember your your first swim teacher and what influence they had on them and you're right you know 95% of them can remember their name, can remember some uh, little antidotes of, of what they did together in classes or what happened in their life that that person really supported them through. And again, they give reference to what, that, what those early swim teachers gave to them and their early swim coaches gave to them, not necessarily the ability to swim and swim fast, but also what they gave them in life. It's uh, very clear that those early teachers, they, they got an opportunity to make a very positive influence on the young kids lives and I think it's the, it's the same today you see it as you go around swim school today it's the same today and that's one of the most rewarding things you as we all know that you can that you can have that's right yep you're not just making a safe swimmer and a good swimmer you may not be making the next Olympic champion you are actually just making a fantastic individual and there's been studies and people have noted the amount of confidence kids get through learning to swim and how it continues on to the rest of their life and as Joanne Love mentions in her swim school is that when you're teaching kids to swim, you're actually teaching them the life lessons that can be lost these days. Resilience and a number of them come through. And I think that's fantastic that we can make such an impact in a, an amazing industry to 
one child, we're not just teaching them to be safe around the water. We're actually teaching them to be better human beings in life. Yeah, yeah. Well, with you on that, very much. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity for us to have. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your swimming journey or is there a, a couple of lessons? Oh, look, I think there, there definitely quite a few, <laughs> quite, a, quite a few of that. So there's no doubt about that. So something's really kind of come clear in my mind and I can't really put a date on it, but it'll be at least a good 10 years, I'll call it, is that I really strongly believe that when you swim and when you, when you swim well, you can actually live a full life. And that comes about for me when I see people, and, and I live very close to a beach now, and I've, I've lived at different times around, you know, different aquatic environments, but I really see people that can swim and swim well, they can actually really, really live a full life. And what I mean by that is it gives the, the whole family an, an opportunity to, to have aquatics as part of their lifestyle. So whether it's for their health or their fitness or their wellness, or whether it's for their holidays, and it gives an opportunity for little Scotty when he learns to swim well, not necessarily go up and down the pool better, but he can do surfing, he can do surf life saving, he can go fishing confidence with his friends. But all those things, they can go to granddad and grandma's place and play in the pool, and they can really be fulfilled in that. On the other side of it, and I see it often, because I said I live close to a beach, especially in the hot summer days, where you get people that obviously cannot swim. It's obvious because they turn up to the beach and they've still got, uh, you know, they've still got their jeans on entering the water and these type of things. And they're adults. And you kind of feel what a shame that for the previous 35, 40, 50 years of their life, they have not had the, the skill or the confidence or the know-how to actually go in and enjoy the water. And you see them get into difficulties, unfortunately. And so for me, that's what, something what I've really learned. You swim and swim well, you've got a full life. The other thing, of course, we talked about before is failing because, you know, there's a lot of failing and learning, you know, and, and learning to swim, there's a lot of fail, 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 and then you get a little bit of success, you know, and you try again, you try again, and, you know, whatever skill it is, I don't think there's any skill that you master straight away. There's, there's lots of failures. So yeah. whether it's, you know, putting your face in the water or learning the tumble turn or learning to dive, you know, how many failures are there in learning how to do a dive? You know, there's, there's lots of sore bellies and chests and faces and, and, and such. And I think the other thing swimming does is it, it really, as you go through the sport of swimming, you've actually got to be prepared to put yourself on the start line. Yeah. So, you know, when you get up behind a starting block, if you do swimming races, you don't think about it too much as a child, but really is you're putting yourself out there for, you know, if, if there's eight kids in the race, um, there's only going to be one supposed winner. So yeah. you're actually putting putting your out there. So yeah, there's some of, there's some of the things, there's probably some of the things that I take through in life and I try to share with my my children, you know, my my two girls is, you know, worst thing that can happen is the answer is no. You know, it's a, you got to just actually sometimes put yourself on the start line. And that is it. It is about putting yourself on the start line, getting out there. And that's one thing I've learned from swimming is you can hold yourself back, but where does that get you? You don't feel any better for it because I know I've sat here and, and starting this season two for the podcast, I sort of kept putting it back and putting it back because, oh, I had so much work to do and I had to sort this out. And it wasn't really too, I suppose, I uh, got the award from Asta for it that I went, well, actually yeah. it's a success. I, I need to get back into it and put it out there and I can't stop. And after 
having that success for the first season, I still, the lack of confidence about it. And I, it's just something I think you learn in the journey. And I think swimming actually brings that out a lot more. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, the same, and congratulations on your award and, and touch, because, you know, as what I've heard, I've listened to a few, they've been, they've been terrific. And I think there is a part of that, that an opportunity to give back and give out, I think it's really a big part of what you can do. And I think, once you've been in the industry a while, and I've uh, encouraged some colleagues of mine that highly successful in swim schools, and I actually sometimes challenge them to say, you've got a responsibility to give back. Yeah. Because they do sit back and they will just do their thing. And I often say to them, hey, it's your responsibility to be out there giving back. So whether that's a presentation, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a conference talk, and they, they say to me, well, I'm not the best talker. I can't present well. Well, you know, there's only certain people that can. Yes. And you can either work on it or you can sit back. But there is a responsibility that do need to give back. And I think that's a very valid point because they were given help on their journey. It would be no one in the aquatic industry that hasn't had some sort of mentoring or help along their journey. So it is then that responsibility to pass it on or pay it forward. And to not be scared of it. Yeah, you can be the type of person that's been in management or owned their own swim school and sort of lived in their own little bubble. Not put yourself down, but sort of think of it as, you know, I don't know anything. I just know what I've done. I haven't done anything in the industry. But that little bit that you've done could inspire someone else to do a bit more. Yeah, very much. When I first got involved, when I went to camp, I got involved with swim coaching and teaching. We used to go up to the annual uh, ASCA conference. In those days, it was out on Greenmount. And I can still recall that, you know, there was guys would just walk up pretty much with a piece of paper with a few notes on and they'd turn the page. And to, to say there was maybe 40 to 50 people in the room, that was about it. I'm talking the early 1980s. Yep. But it all, it all started from there. And gradually it's got to the, the size that it is now. And again, you know, there was lots of people who we uh, used to visit at different times and share ideas from programs. And uh, of course, you take something away. There's some things that uh, you'd like to take away, but you don't implement. But sharing is a big part of what makes our industry really good. Yeah, that's right. And I loved your first comment about the, the first lesson you learned about swimming can give people the experiences and the confidence to be able to try different things. And that really hit home for me during our last holiday we only just got back last night and going up to Yapoon in Queensland near Rockhampton and a friends of ours came out and they had their boat my daughter and I hopped on and she said oh look you can go snorkeling in the bays or we can take you out and you can go over the coral reef that's there and I went oh look I'm not a strong swimmer but I'll give it a go and I've got my daughter who should be right I'm just not sure and they took us out and she my daughter just launched off the boat yeah. had her goggles on bathers no floating gear because I knew she was right to float yeah. but she was not scared she dived straight in she swam off in the waves and absolutely loved it and it just blew me away her confidence and because she'd done that I went well bugger I'm gonna get in <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try it I dived in off the boat yeah. and maybe took about five minutes of going am I going to oh no I don't know if I can yeah. or can I do it and we were in that water for ages now we had to get out because it did get cold but 
just you know we saw turtles swimming past we saw the coral i kicked the coral accidentally a few times because yeah. it was more shallower than i thought yeah yeah and then even getting back onto the boat i'm not the best able body i'm not as coordinated as most so getting back onto the boat while it was rocking all that sort of thing it's not easy yeah no no yeah. but i had no idea that my child would be able to do that and i would feel comfortable with her there and then myself to be able to get in and it was just an emotional i got back and i said look I'm taking my other two over, taking my husband over. We're going to go for a swim the next day. You have to see this place. It's amazing. And I felt so confident in myself that the next day I woke up, I'm like, we've got to go, we've got to go. And we took off. And then my son, my youngest son, or both my sons, weren't so confident in the ocean. Swimming pool, they were fine. And my youngest one, he came out to shoulder depth in the water. And by the end, he was... As a wave come, he'd yell out, jump, and we'd jump the wave and not care about the salt water on his face. I think it's, it was just a real eye-opener as, you know, what swimming can do for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much. You know, as a, another example, just recall as you were talking about that, went to the uh, International Swim Schools Conference in Singapore at the start of 2020. Mm-hmm. And there was times when, you know, at the end of the day, you'd go to the pool at the hotel there and, and to see the number of children who were still relying on flotation. You do shake your head and think, what a shame. But, you know, the opportunity maybe wasn't there for them to swim. But, uh, you know, it's it's still a big part of what children can do and then develop. And, you know, who knows now where your your child, your girl who's experienced that for the first time, that one-off experience, what, what that may do for her and, and go forward for the rest of her life. And that's what I love about swimming too, is that it doesn't stop. Mm. I'm uh, in my 60s now. I still swim actively. I love doing ocean water swims. Uh, I can either swim that with my girls uh, or just in groups. You know, and it's a great thing to be able to do till you're 80 or 90. You know, it's yeah. not, it, it doesn't give way and kind of say, well, you're too old. You've got to stop doing that now. So, you know, getting to learn to swim when you're four, five, six and developing it through to your 10 or 12 even if you don't follow the, the competition line, in any form, in any aquatic pursuit, you can still be doing it for, you know, the next 60, 70, 80 years. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. It's a skill for life. It's something you can bring in and continue doing to keep you fit. And that was the thing. Like, I've always been scared of ocean swimming and not having, I suppose, the control or capability to get myself out of trouble. But now I'm keen to get into the water and do more ocean swimming and expand that side of it because I can see the benefits, I can see the strength that it will build. Yeah, yeah, just open up the world. Oh, yeah, great. that's right. Yeah, it has. I just got to get and live somewhere near a beach. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit hard in the country. I can swim in the local channel, but that's about it over winter. Yeah, that's true. That yeah. <laughs> So what has been the biggest highlight in your journey? Or again, is there a few? Oh, look, there's a few, Katrina. And you certainly, when you reflect on whether you're a teacher and the kids are making progress and such, or whether you're coaching and a particular swimmer or two or five is swimming fast, they're all highlights and they're kind of great to have in the back of your pocket. But I think the highlights to me is friends I've met, certainly you know, as I mentioned before, in Dunedin days, I've still got a really good cohort of friends um, from those days. And, and you know, we mightn't see each other for maybe, you know, years. But as soon as we do, or we pick up the phone and talk or and such, it's, it's a friendship that just carried on as if conversation hadn't been finished. And you just, 
carry on. So that's always good. The people you've met, certainly our industry attracts interesting people, of course. <laughs> And they're people that sometimes you, um, you know, you really connect with and you feel really warm with and you're probably more open and share with them than other work colleagues that you may have had along the line and hard for me to compare because I've been in the industry predominantly all my working life, but people and friends that are there here in Australia or New Zealand or across the world, I think it's really good. You know, it's a, an industry that gets in your blood. Yeah. So I think it's something that, as I said before, you do it and you do it well. It's not a job. It's just something you really love doing on a day-to-day basis. And, and just going back also, you know, the things I've learned is that, as I mentioned before, it gives you a full life. So for me, it's allowed me to do that. I've swum in some amazing situations, whether it's around Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Pacific Islands, all those different places whether I've chased rays or turtles or, you know, all these different things that allowed you to do, I think that's been really fulfilling for me. So they're kind of some of the highlights, I suppose. And there's more to come. Working in the industry, there's still more to come. What for me, that means personally my swimming and keep working on the people and meeting the people. The other thing that I've done recently, Katrina, is this year I've set up myself as a little swim school consultant. So I'm doing a couple of things, really. I made a decision last year when I finished working for a group here in Sydney that I would actually, and I've always had in the back of my mind, it was probably two to three years earlier than I expected, but brought it forward to work for myself again. And so in the capacity that I'm doing some swim school consulting, so helping swim schools uh, in ways that they may need that they may need help. So really helping them on, on those lines. And that's progressing well. I'm just completing my little bit of TAE qualifications. I'd like to do a bit of presenting. And I'm also looking at getting into some junior coaching, actually going back in and doing some junior coaching with a, uh, a swim school that may be looking for some help, especially around that end of learn to swim into early stages of competitive swimming. That transition, I think, is a gap where it still needs to be done better than what I see and trying to make sure that the people that are guiding the children and swimmers through that stage, whether it's 12, 24, even 36 month period, they're actually giving them what they need at that stage rather than trying to fast track them too much. I do see as I go around different pools, I do see children coming out of the learn to swim stage and phase of their development of swimming and then getting into these squads and the coach has ambitions for the child more than the, the swimmer has ambitions to be a swimmer. And I think there's a bit of strain happening there. So I'd like to get in, involved with the program and help them there. The presenting and, and coaching people on courses, I'm really keen to do that. Again, to give back. Swimming has been very good to me and been very good for me. And I'd like to be able to give back to the wider industry um, to be able to present courses. I do think that gives us an opportunity as presenters to be able to, and I know you do it, is to be able to take these people that have got some obvious interest in, in the industry and what we're doing and actually have such a good influence on them, like our swim teachers did when we first learned to swim, but have an influence on them that they stay and they retain. So we can reduce and then probably can't eliminate, but reduce the amount of churn we're getting with swim, swim teachers. It's across the industry, there's a lot of turnover and there's lots of different reasons for that. And I think if we can get um, that, that first stage and that first employer, that's the first stage of their learning, which is the course, and their first employer really taking the responsibility 
of have, having a, a longer term view that this person could stay in our industry longer. I'd like to be involved in that. And then with the swim school consulting. So my little business I've set up is uh, Swim People. So people want to get hold of me. It's, uh, it's scott at swimpeople.com.au. But jump on the websites and just Google Swim People. And that gives them a, a background of what I do and what services I can help them with. So they're the things that I'm doing now as I transition from working for an organization, a, a group here, Carlisle Swimming in Sydney, to now be doing some self-employment again. So I really enjoying that. Yeah, and it's brilliant that you can go through and take the experience you learn on the way to then invest it back into swim schools and back into people because that's stuff we learn so much on our journey. And then to give that opportunity to develop new people in the industry and share in a quick space of time what you've been able to do and the main points you find, I think that's the advantage of a presenter is to be able to look at it and say, well, these are the main points. These are the things you're going to focus on to make a great swimmer and the advantages of swimming, be able to promote the industry. And then, like you said, hopefully retain them. And then with your consultancy, you can then build that mentoring and that developing process. Now we can continue to keep these people. And like you said, there is always going to be a bit of dropout, but you know, those key people that we can keep in the industry for 20, 30, 40 years, and then they can be the ones that give back. Totally agree. And, you know, some of the some of the expectations that I, I do see with swim schools at the moment, well, not at the moment, probably for a long period of time, is even in the recruitment adverts, they say, if you're passionate about teaching kids to swim, come and talk to me. But we can't expect them to be passionate if they've never done it before. Yes. It's actually our responsibility to give them an environment that they do become passionate. Yep. Instead of the other way around saying, only come to me if you're passionate about learning to swim. Now, when I look back at my situation, I had no idea what involved teaching kids to swim. I'd seen it. I'd probably heard a little bit of it from the side of the pool, but I didn't know what it was about. But the environment that I then went into gave me that passion. So as an industry, we can't expect to have passionate swim teachers joining us unless they've got some experience. But we have the responsibility to make them passionate about it. Yeah. So sometimes we've got to flip that little narrative around. It's our responsibility as the presenter and then as the employer to make the environment that the person does become passionate. Yeah, that's so true. What would you put instead? I think especially the younger people, I don't think it's just the younger people these days. I do believe that people now, especially what we've gone through in the last 18 months, they really want to work with a, an organisation that has a very clear purpose. Yeah. And I think it's getting them to be able to see what your true purpose is and they will then buy into that. So that'd be one of the first things I'd look for. Yeah. The other thing I'd be looking for is to say that we realize that you know nothing about this job you're going to take on. Right? We promise that we're going to be a good employer for you. We're going to understand your position and we're going to help you become better at what you do and do your job easier and we'll keep developing you. Yeah, that's a good one. Rather than a, than a group that says, well, you get qualified and now we'll put you in to do the job and let you go. And too often the feedback to the staff member is based around things that they're not doing well. Yes. Yep. Build yep. them as people, 
make them a really good employer. And, you know, a lot of our industry is with very young people. Often it's their first job. And again, as an employer of these people, we've got an opportunity, but we've also got a responsibility to make sure that they understand that working within this group, we've got some real purpose in what we do. And if we have things like listed values that we actually stick to them. And although they may be young, and they might've be young, they might also be 60 year olds going back into the job like me, right? But we've got a real clear purpose on what we're doing. And I think also a lot of people say, like you said, there's a lot of turnover and there's the younger ones in the industry and they're only doing it as a stopgap until university. But we can take that opportunity to promote them and to promote the industry to them and show them how whatever they want to do in life can relate back to aquatics. Now, you know, if they want to be a doctor, it can be a bit different. But I suppose we do our little bit of promotion in our little bubble but there's a lot more that can be done to entice people to continue. And like you said, if you show them the passion and teach them how to be passionate about the industry, well, there's a lot of cases where people have gone in to do things and then gone, oh, actually, no, I enjoy what I'm doing with aquatics. Yeah, yeah. And stay in yeah. it. Yeah, but it's not easy. You know, we all know it's not easy to teach children to swim. Sorry, in some ways it is quite easy. It's quite logical what you need to teach them, but how you take them through that journey is sometimes very challenging that you may have in a class of four or five, you've got four or five kids at different levels because they're all, there's always a bit of a range in a level in, a, in your class and they're all at different learners. So it's quite challenging. It's a shame, but a lot of the time I do hear it and I see it is the young teacher saying, just run the lesson plan, everything will be fine. Yeah. Right? And that's not what it's about. Yeah. It's not the way every child learns. You know, it's not just a matter of run the program. It's a matter of teaching each of those individuals within the parameters of what you've got there, whether it's 30 or 45 or 60 minutes. So it's a challenge, but it's also, we all know, it's very rewarding. And mm -hmm. we've got to take them through that transition from having knowledge to then being able to put our knowledge together with experience and then to be able to build it through. As an employer or as an industry, We've got to be able to walk these people through their early stages so then they can become that passionate teacher, which we advertised for previously trying to attract them. And yep. to me, I think that takes at least two years. You know, I, I see it a lot. You know, I've always categorized teachers into three categories. One, they're competent. They know the lesson plans and they've got a little bit of an idea. And we've done that through a bit of our teaching and presenting. Then they've got to make that transition up to becoming a good teacher. And then very few, but then we've got to be able to bring them forward to a great teacher. So it's competent teacher to a good teacher to a great teacher. And it's our responsibility in the industry and employers, if that's our situation, to take them through that. Yes. Yep. It's very interesting because I've had a few, now that I've started presenting, a few of the swim schools come to me and say, can you come run a session for us on little different topics because it, when you are presenting a course and um, there's only so much you can give a person in a one-day session or yeah. even in a two-day session so you need to develop that over time and it is the swim school's responsibility but also as trainers we can develop those programs and bring our knowledge together and I've had one swim school come to me and say can you teach my new swim teachers how to be adaptable and I was like oh okay but that's 
for me, that's just natural. Like you said, you may have a few different levels in one class. You've got to be able to do the same activity, but change it up and adapt it for each swimmer. And so it's really something I've now delved into is to find out how it should be adaptable and what is behind being adaptable. And then how do you chain, train it to someone who may not be adaptable? How do you, yeah. yeah, how yeah. do you put that knowledge into someone and how do you, yeah, train it? It's time, it's time and it's experience. Mm. And to believe that you have a teacher who maybe even been teaching, you know, I'm going to say a year, but even three or four or five years, they still are looking for, and I, I find that's quite interesting. I often get asked to, to, from people, how do I give feedback to an experienced teacher yeah. who's been teaching or involved longer than me? And the thing that I know about and the best people that I've worked with right, is that they, even though they've been working 10, 15 years, 20 years, they are still looking for feedback. How am I going? Yeah. What am I doing well? What should I keep doing? What can I still improve on? Yeah. And the most, you know, the best teachers that I've worked for, the handful that I'd call great teachers that I've seen, they are still working on their craft. Yeah. That, that's by themselves or they're actually seeking feedback. Yeah. But also I think finding feedback and finding examples everywhere not just discounting the the newest person in your swim school yes um you know what they bring to it they bring a whole new background a whole different ideas and learning you know you may be 30 40 years in the industry but you can still learn from that new person in yeah i'm with you on that i'm with you on that and that's something that i was very you know when i do reflect on where i am now something that i always took very seriously was you know, again, I started before the internet, so that type of thing. But there was a lot of, you know, I had a very, an extensive library. Yeah. You know, there was books. There was conference papers. There was reading that I'd do, right? And you need to order them in, and you, it took a bit of time. It's not, not so much like the internet these days. I'm a great believer in self-learning. I did that within, within the swimming industry. I've also looked outside the swimming industry, and especially around um, some child development. I, again, go back to that comment about run the lesson plan and everything will be right. Well, no, that's not the way to respond to someone who wants a little bit of the help. But actually getting to know some, some child development experts right, and tapping into their resources that they're providing, a lot of it these days are provided free by the internet. So it's not hard on that. But I think new teachers these days, they need to, or any teacher, they need to be open for feedback and they need to be ask for it and the person who's responsible for giving them the feedback needs to be prepared to give it and they need to make sure that it's delivered in a you know in the right way for them but they need to be prepared to actually give them feedback on that asking questions asking another question self-learning but it's also looking outside the industry as to how can I connect with my pupils how can I connect with my classes in a different way that I'm doing now. I do believe that there are opportunities for swim schools to be looking at what they're actually delivering to actually get a better learning outcome for children. Yeah. A lot of our swimming lessons are still being delivered the same way when I first started teaching swimming in 1980. There can be some real opportunity to change on that. An example I'll give on that is you know, something like a swim school often will set up 
in different circumstances, but often a swim school will set up and will say, we're going to try to cover everyone from babies to competitive swimming. Yeah. They try to do it all. Now, I think the future could be based around that we actually have a specialised swim school. Yeah. We're going to focus on those infant preschool areas. That's what we're going to become an expert on that. And not just an expert, but, you know, the world's best on the under five teaching. Yeah. And then the child can develop their swimming somewhere else. But our model at the moment, certainly across Australia, is that we're going to try to offer everything. Yeah. And instead of saying, what can we do? What can we do it really well? And stick to what we do really well. And then be happy that the child's gone on and they're not just good little swimmers, but they're good little learners. And as you mentioned earlier, what the children are learning these days. Yeah, um, and that's a really good point. And I think you can dial it down again and say for swim teachers and coaches, what are you good at? Myself, I'm very good at knowing the general knowledge of all areas. I'm not specific in any, maybe training, I suppose, but in others, yeah, as a swim teacher and I'm a grassroots coach and I can bring all those little bits in, but I'm not going to be a specialist coach. I'm probably not going to be a specialist babies and toddlers, but I'm good at that general bridging the yes. gap between but there are other people that go in and they are great at babies and toddlers or they go up to the elite level of coaching so I think it's about finding that niche as a swim teacher or coach you fit in and it may not be as a swim coach you might be good at teaching sprints and not long distance or you know the dry land side compared to you know or sets or things like that so I think it can be dialed down even more which is amazing that we can then find our own niches so that's what I see, you know, is the opportunity to, uh, to do something a little bit different of that. Again, your comment around the generalist, we've got lots of terrific generalists in the industry and, and you know, I, I fit into that bucket. You know, there's, again, that's something that the film industry could look at in the future. Yeah, yeah. There's so much opportunity to expand on that. And yeah, it, it's a good bucket. I always thought, oh, I'm not good enough because I'm not a specialist in things, but We've got to have that people that bridge that gap. We do? Yeah. We do. Yeah. So, no, I like that. Oh, good to know that we're on the same level. <laughs> <laughs> There's hope for me yet. <laughs> sure. So was there anyone that played a big role in your swimming journey? Look, I, I mentioned earlier on, you know, my first employer, Bill Robertson from, from Canberra. He's played a big part in my journey. A lot of my learning I did in those first a dozen or so years I worked with Bill have, have stayed with me that although he's out of the industry now, lucky enough to stay in his network, he certainly still mentors me in some ways. You know, lots of different people along the way. Mm-hmm. I think there's more than, you know, just one person. There's lots of d- different situations that have shaped you and guided you and nudged you to a certain belief or a certain way of doing things. There's also been... As I said before, I've always liked to do a lot of self-learning. So in some ways, not becoming so rigid in my ways of being able to look at other situations. So that, that's been a part of it. And of course, you know, in our industry, we network well and lots of peers, uh, whether they're in Australia or whether in New Zealand, have certainly helped me a lot. And, you know, they've taught me to say, hey, consider this, maybe copy it. Or I've seen things would say, well, I'm not going to copy that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, there's a part of that too. But the biggest influence was Bill Robbo from when um, 
when I first started. And then, of course, you know, I went to Brisbane. I worked with Neil and Brenda Douglas at Aquatic Achievers. Neil had a big impact on some of my thinking around, around business and certainly working with people. Dynamic charisma of a man. And, you know, still, we still have chats here and there. But, you know, and, and different people in my, my life too, whether that's uh, my family or, or friends who have nothing to do with swimming and don't understand it at all, but uh, different people. Yeah, and I love that, the amount of tidbits that you get from people outside of the industry that, you know, you learn, they do their own thing and you talk to them and, oh, I wonder how that could work or, you know, how yeah. does that fit into it? I think yeah. that's a connection that we can't ignore. Yeah, I think certainly as you go through different roles, like I've gone through, if you go through different roles, you also need to start looking outside because for different roles that I've done, the amount of people doing that role in the swim school industry is getting, gets less at times. Yeah. You know, for every thousand teachers there is, there's, uh, you know, a, f- a few supervisors and a few less owners and a, a few less others. So sometimes you've actually got to look out, you've got to look outside and you should look outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It enhances what you bring from other industries across. Very much so, mm-hmm. yeah. So what advice would you give to a new swim teacher or coach coming into the profession? Uh, Certainly be open, look for feedback, ask for feedback, expect the feedback, be a self-learner. I think, you know, you've got to make sure that you're actually taking some responsibility for improving what you do. So that means, and I remember when I first started teaching and a lady that was uh, helping me a little bit when I first started doing my teaching, and she had a... uh, she had a system that after every teaching day that she did, she would actually take some time to self-reflect what yeah. went well, uh, what, what should I keep doing, identified some areas that probably in the, in the day, whether that was a two-hour teaching shift or whether she was teaching you know, two four-hour teaching shifts in the day, was what didn't go so well, just with her students, but with her own performance. So she was self-reflected. Mm-hmm. And she actually made little notes. She had a little notebook and uh, she referred back to that. And that got into my system. So I certainly started to do that quite a bit. And certainly I do believe that you do need to have that time to self-reflect, you know, what have I done? But also ask for help. And then when you can is to take time even to watch another teacher teach, Mm. visit other programs. I did a lot of that in my early days traveling through Canberra we traveled through New South Wales quite a bit visiting other programs I've done places I generally still go if I go on holiday I'll still pop into the local pool and have a look at the program that's happening see what it's like see if there's something picking something's picked up there and that so that hasn't changed and so you know through uh, through America through Europe I've done all those type of things to be able to find out something there that there there may be so being really open being open to learning and as I said earlier appreciating that and I can reflect on my own time you know when I first started as a teacher you know I was I probably feel I'm a good teacher for a period of time but at the start I I would have been shocking you know (laughs) I I, I probably would have been just knew my stuff but how I was delivering it would have been I would imagine poor (laughs) over time just recrafting recrafting myself and getting feedback from people. That's what I'd say. And also, as I said, look outside, look outside the actual swim teaching, look for these child development experts 
that's what I'd be suggesting to uh, to people. Such great points in there, and I think it is such an expanse you can move into looking outside. And I think something you said in your previous answer as well that I wanted to touch on was learning from what people do wrong. And that's something I bring up in my courses that you may see someone or another teacher doing something easy. Oh, that's wrong. I never do that. Mm. But ask them why they do it because it's not just, you know, they may have their reasons. And once you learn what the reason is, you can actually appreciate what they do and you may then take it on board or you may go, okay, I understand why they're doing it, but I wouldn't do it that way. And I've learned a lot of my career outside of a swimming has been learning from or the way people do things that I wouldn't do. And sometimes it's not their intention that it comes across as wrong. Yeah. You know, sometimes you might see a teacher that looks quite stern in their position of teaching. And it's not that they're trying to be a stern teacher. It's just that they're so focused on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's coming across as if all well, that person's not enjoying themselves. Actually, they could be very happy with what's happening, but outwardly it's not being presented. Yeah. So sometimes you've just got to judge it. You've got to judge as to what's going through that, what's going through that person at that time. And it's just them concentrating, really focusing on what's happening in class compared to the occasional time where they need to sh- show that happiness of what their children are actually delivering to them instead of being so task focused that they're moving on to the next activity. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, I was speaking to a girl who did a course with me in the middle of our second lock, uh, between the two lockdowns in Victoria. So we around about this time last year and then she moved on to Tasmania and started teaching, swim teaching in Tasmania, German backpacker. You'd sort of think, oh, she was just in it for the short haul, but the amount of information she brought to it and I was talking to her the other day and catching up on how she was going and the stuff she brought out was, okay, this class with this group of kids, I know I have to be stern and I have to keep pushing them along. This group of this class, you know, it could be a group of girls and um, I knew I had to be a bit more relaxed with them. And then this group, I had to be a lot more fun and we jumped around. And then this one, I had to be, you know, stern, but then allow them to have a bit of fun and then get back to being the stern. Mm. In a short shift, you can have to be so many different people. And that's why I'm saying earlier, you know, it's not easy to teach kids to swim. You know, we put them into these little groups. It's, It's not easy of that. You know, for some children, they need to actually be moving to learn. For some children, it's got to be they've got seen in ways that they're playing to learn. Yeah. You know, to try to get a child that actually needs to move to hear you, they they can't sit still. You need to understand that child. Yeah. And be and be able to understand why is that child moving? Where there's cases where a teacher like, sit still, Scott. You need to sit still when I'm talking. But little Scotty, he needs to actually sway a little bit and move a little bit to listen and to hear and to yep. take in what you're saying. That's not easy for a young person. But I'm going to say young, not necessarily in age, but young to the game, young to the, the teaching. A person that's in their first 12, 24 months of teaching, for them to keep that in mind all the time. Yeah. And again, going back to it, that's where it's the responsibility of the actual employer or the school to bring that person's knowledge up so they can understand that and appreciate what's happening and then then move from that competent teacher to become a good teacher. Yes, yep. And that's something I suppose, and like we talk about, you pick up some of this stuff outside the industry. Having to homeschool my kids, 
Yes. I learned pretty quick and it got me interested in that life coaching and the learning styles because, you know, like my daughter, I give her work and she'd want to get it done as quickly as possible. Give my son work and you have to be physically touching him for him to be able to concentrate and get the work done. Now, the normal school environment doesn't allow that um, and is quite strict. Whereas as swim teachers, we can do that stuff. We can be there, you know, tapping someone's shoulder and then also pushing those ones that need to be pushed and just want to get it done and get them to get it done. So really, I suppose, exciting opportunity for us to have that in our industry. We could do more with understanding how people learn. Yeah. We touch on it in our courses in a very small period of way, but I don't believe we go into it in enough depth. And I yeah. think that we are from teachers in other parts of the world have a requirement to be more tertiary qualified to become teachers. And I think that's something that, again, in this part of the world, Australia and New Zealand could really be tapping into that more. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Well, there's always opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> So for you, what does swimming look like into the future? Well, first thing, I think swimming in some ways hasn't changed in all the time I've been in it. <laughs> yep. Hasn't changed. We've had some little tangents and we've tried to jazz it up at different times, but in some ways it, it hasn't changed. I do believe that the good, one of the beauties about swimming is that I'm always believer that people need to belong to something. Mm. So whether the child belongs to the swim school or swim club, the parent needs to also join because they feel that they're part of something. So I think we've got a real opportunity to be able to get people to belong to it. And that's what I talked about before as teachers about getting them to buy into your purpose. Because as a swim school, if you've got a really strong purpose, then they're going to buy into that. They're going to feel proud about being part of this purpose, right? Rather than just a business you know, that, that has growth or retention or has success. So I think that's part of it. We need to make sure we, we make an offer, and I'm not sure what that is because it's so different for every different circumstance, but we need to make an offer that attracts people. And that could be, as I said earlier, it could be that you have more specialised swim schools. So we're looking at that type of, that type of area. Yeah. But I don't, you know, when you look at the pure swimming, it's... You know, especially competitive swimming, it hasn't changed. Mm. There's swim carnivals that take far too long. Why is it necessarily that to be involved in the sport of swimming, that the majority of people need to start early and they need to commit themselves to this activity for such a long period of time? Now, I realise that, that it takes time to develop and improve and technically work on the skills and all those type of things, but is it really necessary to be going as much as these young kids are these days. And, you know, it could be why that kids drop out of it, yep. that there's just too much ask of their time. And if you can't do this, Scott, then you can't be part of this team. Yeah. When Scott is happy to come along two to three times a week, going to be low maintenance, but because he's not prepared to come five times a week or seven times a week, sorry, you can't be part of it. We've got to make some changes there. But it do comes down to what won't change is that, of course, you need water and you need good people actually delivering learn-to-swim classes and good people coaching swimming. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. it really is a people's, still a people's thing. Technology's helped for all different reasons, 
to give feedback on a swimmer or on, on a teacher. You know, technology's helped that. Technology's helped us transact with our customers. If you're in a swim school situation, it's helped uh, communication in some ways. Right? In some ways, it hasn't been quite so good because you're relying on technology for communication instead of that face-to-face -face conversation. Whether it's a phone call, whether it's a sit down and face to face, but I do think swimming as a sport needs to make some significant changes of that. Too many, um, you know, just bounced in my mind then that you hear of swim clubs relying on a swimming carnival as the main fundraiser to function for the year. You know, I, I understand that and appreciate that, but I'm not sure if that's right. Yeah, and that is, yeah, that's it. And I, I come from a summer swim club that have, as a president, have got a bit of cash behind them over the years. They've set up a bit of cash. We're learn to swim and competitive. So we've got 120, 130 kids, but only about eight or 10 of them are in the squad. Yep. And probably about six of them compete. That emphasises it in a regional area because these kids, why are we getting such a big dropout? These kids are coming up to a certain level and then they're not continuing through to squad, but are we giving them the opportunity to then be able to go off and try different things? And I look at my committee and they say, oh, you know, we haven't got this and, oh, we can't do that. I'm like, but why can't we put the funding in to, say, run a day about water polo, run a day of open water swimming when we've got lakes around us? We don't have to wait for those grants or we just need to take that opportunity. And why can't we develop our teachers and just expect, you know, we just expect the public to come out and teach. And um, there's all these parents around, why won't they do it? Well, maybe we're not connecting with them in the right way. Maybe we're not showing them our values. Yeah. Maybe we're not giving them the opportunity because sometimes, you know, that $300 or more to do your first swim teacher course is a big lot of money for some people it is yep and yep. it's not seen as you know you go to university i always say oh we go to university and you, you know you get hicks and you're paying large fees or you go to tafe and you pay a thousand dollars for a course but when we're getting them to do it on a volunteer level or even paid in a, a small amount it can be quite a big step yeah yeah and that, that's where again you know especially if you if you're relying on some voluntary labor, I'll call it, then, you know, even more for them to buy in for the purpose of that and that they want to belong to. Yeah. And, and how are you seen in their eyes as a place, as a club, as an organization that they want to be part of? So you've actually got to look at yourself and kind of say, well, why would they come and work with us? Why would they come and volunteer with us? Are we actually attractive? Instead of in some ways thinking, oh, I'm going to give them a job. Of course they want to work with us. You know, because people are joining organizations or groups these days not purely because of it, that it's a job yeah and more and more of that's coming out from what i read more and more of that's coming out now people are prepared to push past those day-to-day -day questions about where am i getting my income from important mm -hmm. where am i getting my day-to-day -day income from but where am i getting my week-to-week -week fulfillment from yeah we do have an opportunity in swimming to continue to build on that that's right. And it's a great opportunity. We should be taking a lot more time in. I think there's a people out there that have done it really well and that we need to take. And like you said earlier, we can copy. I went to a Swimming Victoria conference for competitive clubs and the lady there said, there's no point reinventing the wheel. A lot of this stuff's been done before. So copy and adapt it to what fits 
your swim school or your competitive club. And we need to get that information out there. How have people succeeded? Because then we can use that in our environments as well. It's got to be shaped to your environment, though. Every environment's different and not just copying, you know, what they do in a certain um, location will not be replicated in another location. You can't just replicate that. And you even see that in some of the multi-site swim schools. They feel they can just replicate what they do in location one, do exactly the same in location two and onwards. And it doesn't always work. You've got different dynamics. You've got different demographics of where your location is. You see that across groups within Australia, but you also see it, you know, when how many companies these days do something really well in Australia, try to go to New Zealand or try to go to Asia or try to go to America, and it doesn't work because yep. there's different dynamics happening. Yeah. And you do, you do see that more often that's actually probably advertised. Yeah, that's right. It's really, really true. Where you need to know your community. You got to. You got to. Yeah. So how as an individual or an industry can we promote and develop Learn to Swim and the competitive side to encourage more participants but do all that with less funding? Well, your challenge is less funding. There's always the cost to deliver it and deliver it well generally always going up. So I think the thing to do is from my perspective is to again see see where your location is see what your customer is asking for and then stick to what you do and do it well instead of trying to go too wide so again as a swim school or a swim club the only thing you can control is what you're providing you can't affect what another swim school may be doing down the road do what you do well and I think that's the biggest thing you can do so whether that's what does your location allow you to offer? So whether you're a council pool, whether you're a regional pool, summer, right? Whether you're a small pool or whether you're a, a facility that's got two or three pools in it, you can only look at what your environment allows you to do and then do that extremely well. Bring the people involved. So make sure you've got really good people in, in, involved in what you're offering. For cheaper, I'm not, I'm not too sure because I don't think, I know cost is important, but I, I think it's a, more of a thing to say that whatever I'm paying, I could be paying $5 a lesson or I could be paying $25 a lesson. If the value of what I'm getting doesn't match up to what I've paid, you feel like you're paying too much. Yep. So people will pay $50 for a swimming lesson because they feel they're getting great value out of that. Yeah. It could be other groups that are offering lessons at $11 a lesson and people don't get value for it. So it's still too expensive. So I think it's the value of what the person is actually, the customer is actually experiencing. And that's where I think for swim schools, especially they could actually be asking their customer more, more often, how are we going? Are we meeting your expectations? What we're delivering to you, how is that against what you expected? And then to also understand that the motivation of why a customer stays with you changes over time. So the reason they stay with you is not the reason they joined you. Mm. Often, even that first year, they will have a change of motivation. Why am I staying at this swim school is different to why I joined the swim school. Yep. 
and that will change over time. So you've got to actually be able to understand your customer more. And that's where technology can be very, very helpful. Yeah. And sometimes we need to ask them that. How are we going? And have a system that takes the, the customer through as they stay with you through the different pathways. You know, and the classic example is a person that's swimming, say, in your level nine, they have different motivation as to why the, the, the baby comes in with mom or dad as their first infant lesson. Yeah. So we've got to find out what the difference is there. In some ways, we've got to treat them differently. We can't just deliver everyone the same experience. Yeah. And uh, it's a really good point that you've got to change it as they progress through. So they come in and a baby's class and then their value changes as they, the kid moves on to be able to do be in their own class and without the parent. And what are they looking for in that situation? Well, then you've got to change it as a swim school. Yeah, yeah. Why do they want those lessons? Why do they want to be with you at this particular time? Yeah. It's different as they come through their learn to swim pathway. Yes. I think also, like some people say, they you know get to a point and they think, oh, my child's safe enough, then let's go out. Yeah, they can swim, that's fine. Yeah, we got to reiterate, you know, why are they there and trying to change it to fit that. And then I think also someone, another podcast episode mentioned that gap, like you spoke about between learn to swim and competitiveness. And why do they not transition onto competitiveness? Why, why is there a gap there? And it's up to then also the competitive clubs to be able to, to meet with the swim schools to connect that gap and to be able to share them across and show their value and what they bring to it and how they attract. True. There's two, two parts there, I'd say, Katrina, is that, you know, that, that transition from swim school to a swim club is the swim club needs to be performing or, or functioning at a level that the swim school has confidence to pass that swimmer on because if they pass them on and it's not a great experience, it actually reflects back on the swim school. Yes. Because you've recommended me something and that wasn't very good. Yeah. So it actually reflects back on the swim school. And the other part of earlier in your comment there, where you talked about why a person wants to swim. Now, you mentioned before about your recent experience of holidaying. Now, I'd imagine there's some other reasons why your daughter now, not knowing how well she swims or doesn't swim, why she might want to expand her swimming or why your son, who you said was comfortable standing the water up to his chest, why he may want to progress his swimming more now because he wants to do the sea swimming more than he's done before. Mm. Now, they're the reasons why people, I want my child to be safe and that's why I come to swimming lessons. Why do you want to, your child to be safe? Define that for me. Oh, granddad and grandma have got a pool. And when we go around there, I want them to be able to play in this four by six meter pool. So that's their reason at that particular moment. But a year later, it may be totally different. I want my child now to be able to do this or to join their nippers or to do a family holiday. So their reasons change. So the motivation why they're swimming with you changes. So you need to be able to ask and get feedback. What is that change? And then be able to, we can help you with confidence, be able to experience what you're wanting to do. Yeah. And it is, like you said, to connect with them because the amount of surveys I've put out, and Wayne Goldsmith talks about this in regards to, you can put a survey out there and ask people. I've done that through my swim stub. 
also my swim school and less and less people are answering them. You need to go make that personal connection. That is yeah. what our industry is about. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I said technology in some ways made it, has made it easier, but it also, you know, when you just do a pure survey, you don't, you don't see the, the ums and ahs or the reaction, the physical reaction when the person needs to answer that question yes. to your face. That's what you miss out on, the emotional connection to that. Surveys are good, but then if you do surveys, what are you going to do about them? Yeah, I've that's around, it. I've been around swim schools that have done a survey and done absolutely nothing with them. So why would a person fill out another one? Yep. You actually have to acknowledge them and then do something with them. With them, yeah. Take that information there. If yep. a person takes that time to put it in there, you actually need to do something with it. Yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah. Well, that's the end of the formal questions, but Thank you so much for that. I'd like to touch on though your consultancy. And again, if you want to mention what you're doing, because I think that's a really great value to swim schools to be able to take on. And like you said, develop their swim teachers that just that little bit more that we can't as presenters do in a one day or a two day course that they can then extend that and then build that purpose and the passion around their teachers. So do you expand on that a little bit more for me? Sure, Katrina. So, you, you know, the, the idea is, is that with my little swim school consulting is I want to try to help swim schools in any way that they may wish. Now, what I, so it's quite broad, that comment, but every swim school is different. Every yeah. swim school at different times will have different needs. And, and often what I know is that swim schools, especially their swim school owners and, and maybe some of their leading staff, get tired because yeah. they do so much. Right. They work through their week and then they have an exhausted period and try to recover or they work through their year and then they have a closed down period and they're exhausted and they just try to recover and they get so much wound up in the, in the business as usual day-to-day -day stuff. My offer is to be able to help swim schools be able to, one, improve their people. So that may be um, helping them develop or understand their people and, and work with their people, maybe we actually work with them to see if we can grow to become better at what they do. Mm -hmm. It may be an opportunity to, to look at their program from an outside perspective. So actually from an outsider with some experience, what I have is to actually look at their program and give them some suggestions, some ideas for consideration to be able to improve their program. Might, look, might be able to help them looking at their processes or systems most good swim schools have some very strong processes and systems. Sometimes they work really well, but there's that blend of a personal experience and a process system experience, and they've got to be blended together well. Yeah. Then also to be able to say, well, actually, how do you assess success? What's your performance parameters? And for a lot of people, they're unsure what that should be or could be. Maybe it's changed a little bit in the last 18 months now that people have got a different perspective on, on life and what's happening. So my idea really is to be able to say to people, to introduce myself to people to say, if you're looking for outside help, if you're looking for a person that, that can come in who is, has experienced, has worked with small groups, has worked with large groups, has worked in the council facilities, has run their own business, has worked with a wide, wide understanding of, of swimming, Come and talk to me. We start with a conversation and then we can take it from there. Yeah. And that's a skill like 
as you said, that, that bridging the gap and it's a, a jack of all trades to you've had all that wisdom and that experience. How can you then give that back to other people and you can tap into so many areas for them? And I know, I mean, I run a, a summer swim school and I spend a lot of winter preparing for the next season, but there's only so much that I can do as one person. And, you know, bringing in that other expert that's been there and done that, I think just adds so much more value and also takes that step out because they're not involved in the business. They're not like you where, you know, all year round swim schools work in the business more than on the business. Correct. And you can come in as an outsider, see it as the industry, but your own perspective and then give them that idea. Yeah, very, very much. So that's, that's one of the kind of strains I'm doing at the moment. You know, the, the strand of swim school consulting. And that can be a small project, you know, it could be take a week. Other people have needed a bit more than that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just small project work that I can help a swim school get to where they want to get to. So yeah. it's not my goals. It's not my um, follow this way. It's actually saying, where do you want to get to? What timeline would you like to get there to? Let me see if I can help you. Right? And there's been a couple that I've turned turned away because it's not my area of expertise they're, they're better to go with someone else so you know it's, it's not that I'm trying to do everything there's been some little projects put to me that don't fit my skill set but I've tried to make sure that hey you, you should be talking to someone different on this yeah and that's brilliant you're not you know you could touch on a few of those things but there are other people out there that could do it better and it's not your skill set so you want to give them every opportunity to expand what they do and that's why you can't just copy what's happening down the road. Yeah. You know, we see that often, don't we? We go to conferences and the person says, oh, wow, I'm going to do that. And they try to go back to their home school and they try to implement it all. It doesn't work. Yeah. You can't just copy what someone else is doing. You actually have to set whatever you're trying to do. It has to be set up for your circumstance. Yeah. Copying what an opposition does or copying something out of a book or copying what some someone else has said was successful might not and normally doesn't work for you you've got to be doing what's right for you yeah I learned that the hard way and when I first set up and I went to my first ASTA conference and there was a lady over there from uh, came over from America and she was talking about all these little cards that she gives out and these little certificates and then I went back and I thought okay this season they're going to get little certificates and they're going to get cards and they're going to get all this stuff and I'm in the water teaching myself, so I'm not just managing, I'm teaching. I've yep. got another yep. lady with me. Yeah, you know, I brought out these laminated sheets and they've got stickers with my logo on. Oh, you achieve this, you get a sticker. And at the end, you get a certificate saying everything you've done. I couldn't keep up with it. No. Yeah, you know, churning through, I mean, I've only got 60 kids, but churning through 60 kids and trying to remember who's done what in the lesson and stick it on, it wasn't for me. Yeah. 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 Now this season I'm bringing in a bucket of toys and if they do something well and then less and then they get, they get to take a toy home. Right, right. So it's a similar thing, but it's just, you, it's, it works, it's going to work for your circumstance while the other one doesn't. And that's why you can't just copy someone else has done. Yeah. Right? yeah. There's not a, a stamp, you do this and it works. Yes. It's, it's got to be right for your, your particular circumstance. Yeah. So whether it's a swim school of 60 children like you may deal with, or whether it's with a swim school that has 4,000 children come through in the week, they need to be what's right for them. Yeah. yeah. 
Yep, and what the staff can handle. If you've got more staff, you've got a deck supervisor, well, they can write out certificates at the end of the lesson, you know, if you let them know what that kid's done well. But right. then others are physically unable to do that stuff. So it is, yeah, evaluating what you can do and, and making it for your environment. Mm, mm. Yeah. Oh, terrific. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been fantastic. Thank I've learned you. so much. Yeah, me too. It's been great to connect. So I really pre appreciate the opportunity to share with your audience.